reading is from Joshua chapter 13 and then some other parts of Joshua and First uh, Peter. So Joshua chapter 13. Now Joshua was old and advanced in years, and the Lord said to him, You are old and advanced in years, and there remains very much land to possess. This is the land that yet remains, all the regions of the Philistines, and all those of the Gesherites, from Shehor, which is east of Egypt, northward to the boundary of Ekron, it is counted as Canaanite. There are five rulers of the Philistines, those of Gaza, Ashdod, Ashkelon, Gath, and Ekron, and those of the Avim. In the south, all the land of the Canaanites and Merah that belongs to the Sidonians, to Aphek, to the boundary of the Amorites, and the land of the Gebelites, and all Lebanon towards the sunrise, from Baal Gad below Mount Hermon to Lebo Hamath. All the inhabitants of the hill country from Lebanon to Misrephoth, Maim, even all the Sidonians, I myself will drive them out from before the people of Israel. Only allot the land to Israel for an inheritance, as I have commanded you. Now therefore divide this land for an inheritance to the nine tribes and half the tribe of Manasseh. With the other half of the tribe of Manasseh, the Reubenites and the Gadites received their inheritance, which Moses gave them beyond the Jordan, eastward, as Moses the servant of the Lord gave them. From Aroah, which is on the edge of the valley of Arnon, and the city that is in the middle of the valley, and all the tableland of Medabah, as far as Dibon, and all the cities of Sion, king of Amorites, who reigned in Heshbon, as far as the boundary of the Ammonites, and Gilead, and the region of the Geshurites, and Machathites, and all Mount Hermon, and all Bashan to Selakar. All the kingdom of Og in Bashan, who reigned in Ashtaroth and in Idre, he alone was left of the remnant of the Rephaim. These Moses had struck and driven out. Yet the people of Israel did not drive out the Geshurites or the Machathites, that Geshur and Machath dwell in the midst of Israel to this day. And then Joshua chapter 14. These are the inheritances of the people of Israel received in the land of Canaan, which Eliza the priest and Joshua the son of Nun and the heads of the fathers' houses of the tribes of the people of Israel gave them to inherit. Their inheritance was by lot, just as the Lord had commanded by the hand of Moses for the nine and one-half tribes. For Moses had given an inheritance to the two and one-half tribes beyond the Jordan, but to the Levites he gave no inheritance among them. For the people of Joseph were two tribes, Manasseh and Ephraim, and no portion was given to the Levites in the land, but only cities to dwell in, with their pasture lands for their livestock and their substance. The people of Israel did as the Lord commanded Moses, they allotted the land. And then on to Joshua chapter 21, verses 43 to 45. Thus the Lord gave to Israel all the land that he swore to give to their fathers, and they took possession of it, and they settled there. And the Lord gave them rest on every side, just as he had sworn to their fathers. Not one of all the enemies had withstood them, for the Lord had given all their enemies into their hands. Not one word of all the good promises that the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed. All came to pass. Then First Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, 
kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Morning, everyone. Uh, welcome back to SLE Church for another week. Um, as um, Randy has mentioned before, we are taking a, uh, doing a survey to see how everyone's going. Uh, I just want to let everyone know also that uh, tomorrow morning we're having an important meeting with uh, the staff and, and the team uh, looking to relaunch church. Um, so please do pray for that meeting. Uh, at this stage, uh, we're hoping to relaunch sometime in September. Um, and obviously with the space restrictions, uh, we'll have to figure out how that's going to work so that everyone's included. Uh, so p- please uh, do pray for us and do be patient uh, with uh, the, the plans. Uh, try and get on board as much as possible. Uh, in the meantime, uh, we can still be meeting up together uh, in our homes uh, for church uh, each week. I really want to strongly encourage everyone not to be churching on their own on Sunday mornings. Uh, as much as possible, please do meet up with others, uh, either uh, different people each week or maybe even the same group every week. Uh, that would be great as well. Now, we're going to continue on our sermon series in Joshua today. We are in our third last uh, sermon. We're looking at this huge chunk from chapter 12 to 21. And I'm sure you're glad that uh, we didn't do the reading of the entire uh, nine chapters. Uh, But I do hope that you managed to at least skim read through that uh, during the week. It's always a great habit uh, in the the week leading to to Sunday to read the passage that will be preached on. So that it won't be the first time you're hearing it on the Sunday, but you will have had some time to think about uh, what will be preached. Um, so we'll be looking at this uh, big chunk today. Uh, keep the Bibles open. We, we will be doing a little bit of flipping. I'll be putting out most of the verses on the screen, but it's always helpful to have your Bibles open in front of you, and I'll make you open that uh, during the course of the sermon, um, as well as the outline of the uh, sermon, which is always available on the church website uh, or on the Facebook pages. Um, but the best thing we can do now is for us to pray and ask that God will speak to us uh, through, this, uh, through His Word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the book of Joshua. We thank you that it is your word. And we thank you that in the first half of the book, we've seen how you acted so mightily uh, to be faithful to your promise, uh, to give uh, the promised land of rest to your people. And we thank you that we see your faithfulness through the ages and especially in the gospel, where all of your promises are fulfilled in the Lord Jesus. We pray for us that we be able to trust you, that we'll be able to honor you as the mighty and faithful God, and that we'll see how, how great you have been towards us in Jesus. And doing so, help us to truly appreciate the wonderful gift uh, that you've given us, and that we might respond in the way that we live. As we work through these nine chapters, we pray, Father, you help us understand the inheritance that you gave Israel and why that was so glorious that we may also understand the inheritance you have given us in Christ and why that is so glorious, that we might never do anything to put that into jeopardy. This we pray in his name. Amen. Now, Asian people, uh, we don't, we do not talk about inheritance, do we? Uh, It's a taboo topic. Now, I did some research in a week, and in China, apparently only 1% of China's 220 million seniors have a will drawn up. That's 1% of the 220 million seniors in China have a will drawn up. Uh, And the reason why I find out was that um, to draw up a will uh, in the Chinese culture is akin to putting a curse of death on yourself, right? So only 1% of Chinese seniors uh, do a will because to do a will would be to put a curse on yourself. 
Now, I've also grown up uh, somewhere I was taught that for, as a young person, uh, you don't talk about your inheritance because there's akin to wishing death on your parents, right? To talk about your inheritance, to talk about how much you will get, to want your inheritance too much, hoping that you won't miss out. That's kind of the no-no, right? The taboo, that's disrespectful and it feels wrong and it's definitely not the thing to be doing in the Chinese culture. Now, while that is probably true and a good attitude towards our earthly inheritance, I think it should be the opposite, shouldn't it, for our heavenly inheritance. Our heavenly inheritance should be something that we think about all the time, that we, that we want, that we talk about. It isn't a taboo topic at all. We should wonder what it is we're going to receive from God. We should desire to have it. And we should hope very much and do everything possible to make sure that we do not miss out. Now, this huge section, this huge section from chapters 12 to 21 we're looking at this morning is all about Israel's inheritance. You only have to glance at each of these chapters to see the word inheritance come up over and over again. In, in fact, it's about 40 over times in this section that the word inheritance is mentioned, not, not, not to mention the, 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 the idea of it is just saturated through these nine chapters. The land is the inheritance that the Lord is giving to Israel. Now, before we dive into this section, let's sort of step back and see how the whole book of Joshua as a, a works. So chapter 12, uh, this kind of hinge chapter, uh, concludes the battle section of uh, Joshua, the battle half of Joshua. It's a chapter that lists uh, all the kings that once ruled the promised land uh, that Moses and Joshua had defeated in their battles. So chapters 1 to 11, before this chapter 12 hinge that came before, is filled with uh, action-packed narrative. Right, we've heard about this over the last month or so. Uh, Rahab, right? uh, uh, sorry, Israel crossing the Jordan. Um, and the story of Rahab uh, and, and her salvation. Jericho falling down. Achan and his sin. I and the Gibeonites' deception. The cosmic signs of, of the, the, you know, the, the sun uh, stopping for a day. And, and military coalitions and plotting. Finishing with, as we saw in chapter 11, this montage uh, of all these battles over a long period of time. Action-packed narratives of chapter 1 to 11. And chapter 1 to 11 is about taking the land, right? The long military campaign, the victories uh, that God gave to Israel. But then we get to chapter 13, right? We look at verses 1 to 6. So have a look quickly at your Bibles. Chapter 13, verse 1 to 6. As you glance through it, you will see that we're told that there is still more land to take. But so much of it had already been taken that it's almost a given, a fate accompli, a matter of time. So much so that at the end of this section, one of the final verses of chapter 21, we read this. Sorry, just clicking through the wrong slides. Here we go. Chapter 21, verse 43 to 45. Thus the Lord gave to Israel all the land that he swore to give to their fathers, and they took possession of it, and they settled there. And the Lord gave them rest on every side, just as he had sworn to their fathers. Not one of all the enemies had withstood them, for the Lord had given all their enemies into their hands. Not one word of all the good promises that the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed. All came to pass. And so we see, here's a summary of this whole book, 
so far. Well, chapter 1 to 11 is about taking the land, right? It's action-packed and exciting. But if we get to this section, chapter 13 to 21, it's about the distribution of the land. And frankly, it's long and tedious and kind of boring, isn't it? Almost half the book devoted to mind-numbing details, list after list, about the distribution of the land. Right? Which bit of land belonged to which tribe of Israel? Now, if you had a choice, which half of the book would you choose to read? Which half of the book would you choose to put into a children's Bible? Which part would you leave out? Well, if you've ever read a children's Bible, or if you've got children that you read the Bible to, you'll know that chapter 12 to 21 doesn't really appear in any of the Bibles. Because it's no fun. It's boring, isn't it? Chapters 1 to 12 is where we'd spend our time. Chapters 13 to 21, at best, you would give a quick flick through just to say that you can tick off your Bible reading plan that you've been through the section. And you may wonder as you flip through page after page of lists and details, what is the point? What is the point of these long lists of land distribution? Why isn't there just one chapter summarizing the fact that Moses gave this land to this group and then Joshua gave the land to that group and be done with it? Right? One chapter, maybe even one verse, should be able to convey the information in these nine chapters, shouldn't it? Now, I want you to imagine for a second being at a lawyer's office and you're there because a loved one, um, a senior, has passed away and you're there for the reading of his or her will. Now, this uh, relative, maybe he or she is extremely rich uh, and the will is not a typical one uh, given you know, in the percentage terms that the modern will has. But you know that it's going to be parceled out Right, her property, her, 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 her wealth, her possessions. And you'll be sitting there in that room, I think, being very attentive to every detail being said. You'll be waiting for your name to be called out, wouldn't you? You'd be wondering what you'd be getting from this very rich grand-auntie or grand-uncle or grandparent. And what you get or don't get will say a lot about what this loved one thought of you, wouldn't you? Depending on what you got, what your siblings got, what your cousins got, would tell you a lot about what they thought of you while they were alive. Now, chapters 13 to 21 is a bit like that. It's the reading of the will of God. And each detail matters to the beneficiaries. It tells them what they would inherit from God. It would tell them what God, has, what God thought of them. Now, what chapters 13 to 21 tells us is this, that every bit of the land of Canaan belongs to God. And that God gives an inheritance to each and every one of Israel. No one misses out. And all, it tells Israel, as God gives out this inheritance, as the details are given, it tells Israel that God is trustworthy. The Lord God had made great promises to them many generations ago, and He is fulfilling them all. He's fulfilling them all. Now, let's get into this uh, section. Right? As modern readers, we, we don't really need to uh, prioritize memorizing this section. Right? You might be glad to know, right, if you're doing Bible memorization, probably uh, you don't really need to memorize this section. Now, the impact of these chapters as God's Word isn't really in the details, but in the point that these details make. Now, that being said, it is helpful to get an overview, understanding of what is going on in these chapters. 
So in chapter 13, verse 8 to 12, so the bit after the summary of the lands that's still to be taken, we get to a summary of the distribution that Moses had given uh, to two and a half tribes of Israel on the west, on the, sorry, on the east of the Jordan. So in chapters 13, verse 8 to 12, the distribution of the inheritance begins with the land east of the Jordan. Now, if you remember, this land had already been taken by Israel under the leadership of Moses right before the book of Joshua. You can read about it uh, towards the second half, towards the end of the book of Numbers. Now, on the map, you can see where the half the tribe uh, of Manasseh, uh, Reuben, and Gad settled around the east of the Jordan. The Jordan is that line, that kind of blue color line that goes through the middle of those tribes right there. Now, the rest of the chapter details the precise boundaries that belong to each of these two and a half tribes. And then we get to chapters 14 to 19, and attention is turned to the distribution of the land west of the Jordan. Right, this is the land that was taken in the battles and the conquests of Joshua chapter 1 to 12. And on the map, you can see where the other nine and a half tribes settled. Right, so you've got the other half of Manasseh, along with all the other tribes. This was the inheritance that they received from God through Joshua. Now, in chapters 14 to 17, the inheritance is first given to the most important tribes of Israel. And that is Judah, right, the people of Judah. So they are in the south. And the people of Joseph. And Joseph's people are Manasseh and Ephraim. They're two sons of Joseph. So you see that uh, Judah has a pretty huge piece of land there. So has Ephraim and Manasseh. Um, chapters 18 and 19 then details the inheritance given to the other seven tribes. And the Levites, who received no land, were given the inheritance of the people's offerings to the Lord. And each of the, the, the tribes would have to give up a city for the Levites to live in. That was their inheritance. And you can read about that in chapter 21. Right? So that's kind of a bit of detail. You can flip through these chapters yourself and have a look. Uh, at how the land is distributed. But I want to draw out kind of five observations, right? Uh, and this is a little bit topical, and you'll have to go through and read for yourself to see how these points come out from these chapters. But let me draw out five observations from these chapters about Israel's inheritance. Firstly, the land, which is the inheritance, belongs wholly to the Lord God, it belongs to the Lord God, and that is why it is the Lord, Lord God's to give, right? It's his land to give. Now, if you remember what Rahab, uh, back in chapter 2, Rahab said this, what she discovered about the Lord God in Joshua chapter 2, verse 11. As soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Right? This is the, the declaration that Rahab had made about this God of Israel, that he wasn't just the God of Israel. The Lord God is the God of the heavens and the earth. All of creation, all of this world belongs to God. And so it is God's to give, including this bit of land. Now, secondly, it is God who gives the inheritance. It's a gift. It is not a work that is earned. Now, it's kind of a bit obvious to say but it's important to really notice this. Now we see this all the way back in Joshua chapter 6, verse 2. Right? The Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and mighty men of valor. J 
Chapter 8, verse 1. And the Lord said to Joshua, Do not fear and do not be dismayed. Take all the fighting men with you and arise, go up to Ai. See, I have given into your hand the king of Ai and his people, his city and his land. Now listen to what the Lord God says regarding the rest of the land that is still to be taken. So have a look at chapter 13, verse 2. This is the land that yet remains. And he says at the end of verse 6, I myself will drive them out from before the people of Israel, only allot the land to Israel for an inheritance as I have commanded you. You see, it is, the God's, it is God's land. And he is achieving two purposes simultaneously in Joshua, isn't he? He is driving out the people of the land as he judges these people who are wicked and who are rebellious and who have, been, who have been like that for hundreds of years. It was a judgment of God to devote them to destruction, to drive them out of the land. It is God's land to clear, and we see that it is God's land to give. Right? Simultaneous purpose to drive out and to destroy the people of the land who were wicked and who have been wicked for hundreds of years. But the other purpose is that God is giving this land as an inheritance, as a gift to his people. Two simultaneous purposes. It is God's land to give. Now, thirdly, this land was a glorious inheritance. A glorious inheritance. Now, when you look at chapters 13 to 21, it is filled with long lists of boundary markers. Right? Each tribe is tell, told where the boundaries are for where their lands are. It, it tells them which town and villages they were to take, which, which river and brooks are there, which valley and hills. And it kind of goes through each tribe right, systematically starting from Judah and then from the people of Joseph and to the other nine and a half tribes. Now, I'm not sure about you, but as you read it, does it sound glorious to you? It certainly doesn't sound very glorious at all, does it? It sounds incredibly boring to us. But for the Israelites, as they were to hear about these places that they had to receive, the, the joy and the gratitude and their hopes would have been gloriously immense. Imagine for yourself that you're an Israelite living at that time. Right? You had been battling for months, perhaps years, walking over those precise boundaries of the inheritance, traversing over those hills and into those valleys, fighting and battling to possess this city and, and that hill and securing that valley, places where they lost brothers in arms, places where they shed blood and sweat and tears for months. They would have known all these bits of land that God was giving to them. It wasn't just some random place and random name and random feature on a map that we see on Google, right? It's not like that. It's like that part of Inala or, or, or Sunnybank that you, you go to every week, right? And you know where your favorite spot is to sit, where that shop is, where that parking spot is that you like. Right? It's that kind of familiarity because they had taken the land themselves with their blood, sweat, and tears. And from now on, places where they would look forward to cultivating a farm and to build a family and to build a future, a future of joy and hopes and rest in the land was about to begin. The glorious inheritance that they had now received that they can enjoy. You can imagine the relief and gratitude to know that not a single one of them was left out a possession of the land in which they had fought so hard to take, which the Lord God had gifted to them as an inheritance. 
It's a glorious inheritance. It doesn't sound like it when we read it, but you gotta, you gotta know what it is. Now the fourth thing we see is that Israel had a part to play. Right? Israel had a part to play. Yes, God is the one who owns and gives the land, but the people needed to themselves take possession of it. They needed to obey God's instructions. And as we know, they did mainly obey God's instructions. Through divine help and military means, the people had taken possession of the land. However, as we will look at in a later point, they didn't possess all of the land as they should have, did they? They didn't fully take what was given to them by God. The seeds of trouble were sown, as we'll see in the coming chapters, and it would sprout in time to come. Now that being said, the greatest thing to be said about these chapters, about the distribution of the inheritance, is what is concluded for us in chapter 21. So have a look at chapter 21 again, verse 43 to 45. Thus the Lord gave to Israel all the land that he swore to give to their fathers, and they took possession of it, and they settled there. And the Lord gave them rest on every side, just as he had sworn to their fathers. Not one of all the enemies had withstood them, for the Lord had given all the enemies into their hands. Not one word of all the good promises that the Lord had made, the house of Israel had failed. All came to pass. Now these are wonderful verses to really end this section, isn't it? It's a reminder that many, many years ago, the Lord God had promised Abraham huge promises. Abraham, a single man living as a nomad for so long, he would become a great nation, he would possess a great land, and through him would bring blessing to the world. These promises would be repeated and affirmed by the Lord to Abraham and to his children and to his grandchildren and down to the generation. And now it is being fulfilled. The Lord God has come good on his promises. They had become a great nation and now they will possess a great land. And in this land, they will be blessed with rest, with, 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 with prosperity, with provision. All of it came to pass. The land was more than an inheritance then, was it? It was a guarantee that the Lord was and would forever be faithful to his promise. It wasn't just an inheritance. It was a guarantee of God's faithfulness to them as his people. Now, this inheritance for Israel in the Old Testament prepares us for the full and final inheritance of God that he has in store for all of his people. Now, this is uh, Old Testament it's, it, 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 it's, but it's there to prepare us for, for what we see in the New Testament. The land in the Old Testament was wonderful, but God always planned for there to be something greater and something bigger than the promised land of Israel, of Canaan. Now, as with all things to do with life and faith, the fulfillment of God's plans is found in Christ. As with all things to do with life and faith, the fulfillment of God's purposes and plans is in Christ. He is, ultimately, the true Son of God. He is the true heir. The inheritance of God is bound up with Christ. Now have a look at 1 Peter chapter 1, coming up on the screen. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope 
through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. You see that? God's inheritance is promised to those who are born again through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is to say, all who put their trust in Christ and who becomes one in Christ are in a way born again as the children of God. And it's an inheritance that is much greater than the one Israel got. Did you hear that, right? Imperishable. Cannot be, cannot fade. Cannot, uh, it's not, uh, it, it can't be defiled. It's undefiled and unfading. And it is kept in heaven by God himself for us. It will be given to us when final and full salvation comes. Right? When we get into our eternal homes. Now what is this inheritance? It's actually pretty hard to figure out, isn't it? As you read 1 Peter 1, verse 3 to 5, it's pretty hard. What is, well, what is this inheritance? It sounds like it's salvation, and it is, right, in verse 5. But what is it exactly that God is giving that we will possess? Now, this is a really big question, and I just spent quite a bit of time reading about this during the week, and I'll encourage for you to do some study on it, right? It's probably uh, too much to say uh, in just one sermon, but I want to point out a couple of really huge things about this inheritance that is clear to see in the New Testament. Now, firstly, our inheritance in Christ is nothing less than all things, right? It's nothing less than all things. Israel received the land of Canaan, but to Christ, the true heir, belongs all things. Right? This is what Hebrews chapter 1, verse 2 says. Right? Tells us that God has appointed Jesus Christ to be the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. Right? The heir of all things. The creator has, belong, uh, has given all things to belong to his son, who himself is the agent of creation. Colossians 1.16 says exactly the same thing, isn't it? Uh, for by him, this is Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Right? That's the inheritance word, isn't it? It's for him. The Son inherits all of creation. All of it belongs to Jesus Christ. Now, it doesn't look like it now. As you look around, it is not obvious that all things belong to the Son. But one day, it will be clear to see this. Everything is wrapped up and given to Jesus and put on his feet. It will be seen clearly that the Son is the true ruler and owner of all things. Now, amazingly, we're told this. Having been adopted as God's children in Christ, having been adopted as God's children in Christ, we too own all things. They belong to us. 1 Corinthians 3 says this, So let no one boast in men, for all things are yours. All things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours. And you are Christ's, and Christ is God's. Now, in that passage, it's talking about how, why would they bother 
you know, feeling like they belonged to different leaders whom they had to follow in the church. And, and, and Paul draws out this amazing doctrine that in Christ, everything belongs to us. Why would you bother enslaving yourself to a leader and following a leader? It's this weird verse that pops out, right, that, that indicates to us the amazing reality that if we are co-heirs with Christ, having been adopted into God's family as his children, and Romans 8, 16 tells us that, we are co-heirs with Christ. We share in Christ's inheritance, and that means that all things belong to us just as it belongs to our brother, Jesus Christ. I'm not sure if you ever realized that, right? Did you know that? Our inheritance from God is far, far bigger than most of us think or can even imagine. All things. Now, what does it mean for all things to belong to us? Now, that's another one for you to study as well during the week, right? It's for me, too much for me to say, but let me just, just explain it a little bit uh, about what all things means for us. To have all things to belonging to us is, I think, to be restored to our created purpose. We were created to be the rulers and carers of the world under God. The world and everything in it were given to us to live with God to live God-glorifying lives, and to live lives of goodness and love and joy with others. Was that not the original intention of creation, of the creation of all things, was for us to live with God and to live for God and to live loving and godly lives with each other? And God is saying that in our glorious future, the world will belong to us in a way that will serve this created purpose to serve our worship of God, serve our good, and serve our relationships with each other. The world that belongs to us will no longer be under the rule and the curse of sin that makes the world set against us, that makes the world unresponsive to our efforts to love God and to love each other. In this new world, which will belong to us, there will be rest. The promised land was a place of temporary rest for Israel, but the world that we inherited, that we will inherit, will be a place of true and eternal rest. Right? That is an amazing inheritance, isn't it? That all things will belong to us, not that we'll have everything as physical possessions, but there will be all things will be there to serve our worship of God and serve our lives with each other. Now the second thing about inheritance is not it's not just a place, is it? And even with this all things you can tell, it's not just a place. It is every spiritual blessing. Every blessing that connects us to God in every way that truly matters. You see, the world that is to come is good only because it is with God. Now, I know I haven't said this for a while, but it's kind of one of my pet phrases. Right? Eternal life isn't good because it's long. Right? I don't know about you, but if I have to live my life in the way it is now, forever, I wouldn't want to. Right? Because my knee hurts like anything at the moment standing here, and so is my back, and I've got health problems, and you know, my memory's going, my eyesight's going. Right? Eternal life is not good because it's long. Eternal life is good because it's with God. It's because it's the full, um, a full experience of the spiritual blessings of being connected back to God, which means true life. Now, Ephesians chapter 3, verse, uh, sorry, Ephesians chapter 1. Verse 3 to 14 speaks about all the spiritual blessings 
that we receive in Christ that connects us with God. Now, once again, it's for your own personal study to have a look at this wonderful passage that speaks about election, sanctification, adoption, redemption, justification, revelation, glorification, all the big words that ends with shen, right? Thanks to Colin Buchanan and that song. All the big words that end with shen are the spiritual blessings that we have in Christ. See, I want to emphasize that God's inheritance is given by God in Christ. And it is what connects us with God. That's why all things that belong to us is precious because all these things are about life with God. It's about the worship of God and it's about living with God's people. And the amazing thing is that this inheritance is guaranteed with a promise, right? By the promise-keeping God. Let's have a look at the end of this passage in Ephesians 1, just to listen to this. Right? In Him, in Christ, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. I said at the beginning, I'll say it again, that our inheritance is bound up with Christ. All things that belong to him belongs to us if we are in Christ. Every spiritual blessing that connects us to God is found in Christ. So how do we apply this? Well, it's easy, isn't it? Trust in Jesus. Put your hopes off this life and the life to come in Christ. For all that is good, all that we would love to inherit in this life and the next, are found in Him. And outside of Him, there is nothing good. There is nothing good that we'll get from God. Our inheritance is promised to us by God who keeps His promises. As we read Joshua 1 to 21, and it concludes with that beautiful chapter 21, verse 43 to 45, is that to remind us that it isn't just to Joshua and to Israel back then that God has kept His promises. But all through the generations, and especially seen in the gospel, God keeps his promise. And so when he tells us that he has put his seal on us, his own Holy Spirit to dwell in us, to be a guarantee of our inheritance, then you and I can be sure that God will keep his promise. It is a glorious inheritance that awaits us. Is it something that you're thinking about, that you're desiring, that you're hoping for? Is there something that you're doing everything possible to make sure that you never lose? You see, the inheritance that we're about to receive from God is no taboo topic, not at all. This inheritance is everything we should hope for and that we should desire and that we should know about. Now, these nine chapters are overwhelmingly positive, right? If you read it, it's, it's really got a positive tone all the way through it, but there are seeds of trouble that are sown and they're being planted. And I want to just spend a few minutes to highlight these seeds of trouble because the inheritance is glorious and the people have to take possession of it. But there are some things here that spells trouble 
that will prevent them from inheriting all of God's blessings. We see this in Joshua 13, verse 13 where it says this, Yet the people of Israel did not drive out the Geshurites or the Mechathites, uh, but Geshur and Mechath dwell in the midst of Israel to this day. Joshua 15, 63, But the Jebusites, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the people of Judah, could not drive out, so the Jebusites dwell with the people of Judah at Jerusalem to this day. 16.10, However, they did not drive out the Canaanites who lived in Giza. So the Canaanites have lived in the midst of Ephraim to this day, but have been made to do forced labor. 17.13, Now when the people of Israel grew strong, they put the Canaanites to forced labor, but did not utterly drive them out. You hear that repeated pattern there? The four seeds of trouble in these nine chapters, the little pockets of Canaanites, they did not drive out. The seeds of this problem they don't flower till we get to the next book, the next phase of Israel's life in Judges. And when it flowers, it's the worst weeds that you've ever seen. When it does come, we see the full scale, the problem of not fully driving out the Canaanites from the land. Israel, influenced by these people, came to be a people of compromise. And then they came to be an idolatrous and rebellious nation. And then they fully turned their backs on God in apostasy. Now this is the warning bell that is sounded in these chapters. The warning bell is this. Do not let anything get in the way of taking hold of God's inheritance. Do not let any compromise, any temptation, any sin settle into your life. Don't turn a blind eye to potential problems that will lead you away from God. The book of James puts it this way. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Can you see that progression from seed to fully grown sin to death? The lesson here is to learn from Israel, drive sin out of your life. Now, it's not that one sin here or one sin there will take away our faith and will take away our inheritance. Right? It's not like that. It wasn't like that for Israel. It wasn't like that small compromise here, small compromise there, and then straight away, right? They were gone. No. It's that one sin here and then one sin there can lead to many sins here, and many sins there. Compromise once, twice, and then over and over again leads to a pattern of rebellion, isn't it? And long-term rebellion is just a small step away from turning your back completely on God. Sin, when fully grown, leads to death. And so the message is clear, isn't it? Show no mercy. Show no mercy to temptation and sin in your life. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. You will live. You see, the stakes are as high as they come. 
kill sin or it will kill you. But by the power of His Spirit, God and we don't let that happen. We don't let sin take root in our lives. We don't let sin lead us to turn our backs on God. We don't let sin dispossess us, disqualify us of the glorious inheritance that God has in store for us. The inheritance that is found in Christ is truly and utterly glorious. And all of it is from God, His gracious gift. And all who trust in the Lord Jesus, all who are in Christ, will surely receive it. Not a single one of us will miss out of all of the blessings that God wants to give to us. But on our part, we need to respond with faith and obedience. We need to receive and possess the gift of this inheritance. And we need to do all that we can to not put this inheritance at risk. But we do so knowing God's power and God's faithfulness. We do so knowing that God has given us His Spirit as a seal, as a guarantee, as a helper for us to make it to the end. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are truly amazed by the gloriousness of the inheritance that you give to your people. That even as we appreciate the inheritance you gave to Israel, every boundary, every city, every village, every river and hill, what a glorious inheritance it must have been for them to have heard this read out. For them to see in this land a glorious rest and future. And how it points us forward to understanding your inheritance that you have given through your son to us. That to your son, the true heir, you have given him all things. That through him you have given every spiritual blessing. All of the amazing things that do end in Shem. Please help us to grasp how immense the inheritance you have prepared for us is. Please help us to see that all of this can only be found in Christ. So let us trust Him. Help us to keep trusting in Him no matter what happens in this life. Help us to be grateful and to be so thankful. And help us to do all that we can to make sure that we never put it at risk. The Israelites failed to fully drive out the temptations, um, the people that would lead them to temptation. And so for us, we pray you help us to, to learn that lesson, to take sin seriously, to not let it take root in our lives. But we do so knowing that you have put your spirit in us to be our seal and guarantee, our helper. We put our faith in your trustworthiness to bring us to the end. This we pray in Jesus' name.